0: Amen. He is worthy of our worship. Amen. We want to go to a passage you would guess I would go to tonight. Romans chapter 12. As we continue to think about this vital issue of redeemed to worship. Redeemed to worship. We have looked at Philippians 1. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That Christ be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Last night we thought about the nature of true worship. We must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we want to continue to think about this issue. But now from this familiar verse, verse 1 of Romans 12, and we think about tonight the New Testament consecration sacrifice of worship. Paul is speaking to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he says in Romans 12 and verse 1 in my new King James he says I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And we'll see a few moments. It's better translated, your spiritual service of worship. I heard the true story about a brother who was seeking counseling from his pastor. And this brother in Christ was saying to his pastor, he was having all kinds of trouble living this Christian life. He found himself doing things he wasn't supposed to be doing. He found himself not doing the things God was calling him to do. Uh, But he also confessed he'd been going from church to church, from meeting to meeting, from experience to experience, trying to get more from God pastor took him to this verse that we're going to look at tonight and said to him, my brother, your victory does not depend on you getting more from God. Because if you're born again, you already have everything you need for life and godliness. Amen? We are complete in union with Him. We've been blessed with how many spiritual blessings? every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in union with Christ. So the issue is not that we need something more from God. No, he said to this young man, the issue is what you need to give to God. You need to consecrate your life, yield your life in this New Testament consecration act of worship. That's what we've been looking at these two days. This is why God is redeeming a number of sinners that no man can number from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group so that he would receive glory, honor, praise in lives of authentic worshipers who truly are living. The reality for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain who are truly seeking to worship him in spirit and in truth amen and we saw last evening that this supreme priority of true and spiritual worship is a moral imperative to every born again believer jesus said you must worship god in spirit and in truth this is not a suggestion to be received or rejected. This is not a request to be accepted or denied. This is not an invitation to worship. This is a command to worship Him in spirit and in truth. We've been seeing that everybody in the world worships someone or something that they're willing to both find and build their identity in that someone or that something. In other words, they treasure that person or that thing to such a degree that it shapes their thinking, their emotions, their choices, uh, the object of their worship if it's someone or something governs and guides their aspirations, their ambitions, their affections, their actions. This Object, whatever it may be, becomes the source of their contemplation, their captivation, and their dedication. So that they're pouring out their life for the object of worship. Now, if it's true and if it's the true and living God, it's true worship. If it's anyone or anything else, it's blasphemous idolatry against God oh but we've been seeing that when a man, a woman even a young person is born again their worship begins to find its fulfillment in the only valid object of worship because that brother or sister has received a spiritual heart transplant. The Holy Spirit has come to abide in them. They have become a partaker of the divine nature. Thus they make a supernatural U-turn. They turn from their idols. They forsake their idols, their sins, their ways. They place their personal confidence in and their reliance on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and for the first time in their life, they begin to fulfill the purpose for which they were created. Now that person may be like I was when I was converted in New Orleans, Louisiana. They may know very little about the Word of God. I may have told you this here before. I don't remember. But when I got converted, I didn't know Genesis from Revelation. If you would have said the word Genesis, I would have thought you were talking about Phil Collins, the drummer for Genesis. (laughs) Oh, but when I received a heavenly call of grace through the Gospel and entered into a saving knowledge of the Spirit, uh, uh, a saving knowledge of the Father and the Son by the Spirit, God graced me to enter into that first love intimacy with Jesus, and it became an unfolding revelation of what it meant for Jesus to be my Lord and for Him to be the object of my worship. The psalmist says in Psalms 46 and 11, because He is Lord, worship Him. When I'm talking about worship, I'm thankful for the singing tonight, but that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about a loving submission of all that we are, say, and do to all that the Lord says and does. So let's dig a little deeper when we think about this word worship. It really describes the worthiness of of a person to be honored, to be cherished, to be reverenced, to be obeyed. It's, it's the idea of a far superior being who is worthy to receive reverential worship, this person of extremely high ranking. Well, notice the worth and value that the worshipers in heaven place on the Lord Jesus Christ. I remind you again in Revelation 5 and verse 12, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So we have been redeemed to ascribe to the Lamb and to the Lord. The worship that is due His name. Amen? By giving our wholehearted adoration to Him, our unconditional allegiance to Him. In the Old Testament, the term worship uh, was taken from an old Hebrew word that meant to kiss toward. It was the ancient custom of a subject bowing his head and kissing the hand of the monarch, the king, the ruler, of the bowing down pictured his reverence for the king, his honor and respect and awe to the king, of the kissing of the hand uh, represented the prostration of absolute submission to the king. Are you aware that your response to God's command to worship the Lord and the Lamb will affect the eternal destination of your soul? Oh, well, it sure will. Listen to the psalmist in Psalms 2, verses 11 and 12. Serve, worship the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And notice he goes on to say, kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. We are called and commanded to kiss the Son with a life of adoration and allegiance to him. Kiss the Son, not with the hypocritical kiss of Judas, but the kiss of true and acceptable worship. Why does this have eternal consequences? Lest the son be angry and you perish in the way when he calls his great white throne court into session. When a sinner is born of God, listen, they are delivered from the realm of the reign of sin and into the realm of the reign of grace and righteousness. Uh, That lady is resurrected from spiritual death. Uh, God shines the light of the glorious gospel on that man's blinded mind. Her, Her sin enslaved will is liberated from the tyranny of sin. Simultaneously the Spirit of God baptizes that man, that woman, even sometimes a young person into a living vital union with the Lord Jesus, the last Adam, so they're no longer in union with the first fallen Adam. They've been planted into a living union with the one who says, I am the vine. And they are transformed from the side of God's holy ledger, which says lost sinner in union with Adam to the side of God's holy ledger which says perfectly righteous in union with Christ. But simultaneously, a new nature is imparted. They have a heart transplanted. What should be their response to the amazing grace and marvelous mercies of God? Listen, Jesus gave Himself for us so that we might give ourselves to him in the consecration of our lives in the New Testament sacrifice of worship and listen, this is the only reasonable response to the Lord this is the only rational response to the Lord Jesus Christ what am I trying to say this week, this pitiful Preacher, this old clay pot. I'm saying, listen, biblical Christianity is a transformed way of living. It's not just some confidence in some religious experience from the past, it's not just a head full of doctrinal information about the Bible. It's a radically changed way of living. And this is what Paul is saying to us now after these 11 chapters of doctrine. He now says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That's what my New King James says. And that's the way some folks translate it. Others translate it your rational and appropriate service or your logical service. But the New Revised Standard says, which is your spiritual worship. And even better, the New American Standard says, your spiritual service... Of worship. So what is this worship? Just showing up at church on Sunday? No. It's to gladly surrender the totality of our lives and a comprehensive consecration of our lives to the Lord. It's nothing less than placing your life at the disposal of the one who has bought you who has redeemed you. Now, we know this right here. Notice the the, uh, fourth word in my New King James. I beseech you, therefore... Whenever we see the word therefore, we realize that this practical teaching that we're about to read about is powerfully rooted and grounded in previous doctrinal truths that Paul has been teaching to us. And in this case, it's the preceding 11 chapters of the epistle to the church at Rome. Now, there are hordes of foolish religious people all around us in today's man-centered, felt-need-centered church culture who say, we don't need all this doctrinal teaching. Just give us something that will help us live a full and meaningful life. Just tell us about God's wonderful plan for our life. Tell us how we can have our best life now. Tell us how we can give us something uplifting and success-oriented. Give us a positive thinking message. But listen, no one has a foundation for God-pleasing living unless they first understand the majestic doctrines of the Word of God. And Paul has given us 11 chapters of doctrinal teaching concerning all the amazing and astounding doctrines that cluster around the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's actually been giving us the grammar of the Gospel. And he says now, brothers and sisters, in light of all these marvelous mercies, we should say with the psalmist, what shall we render to our Lord and Savior in response to all these incredible benefits? How shall we respond in light of what God has accomplished on our behalf in the person and the work of Jesus? Well that introduction in mind, let's go to, first of all, we're not going to get far tonight, but we'll get a little ways. Let's think a little bit, first of all, about the call to worship. The call to worship. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Now that word, brethren, is the Greek word that described uh, folks who'd been born of the same womb. But in this case, Paul is using it to describe those who've been born of the Spirit of God. As we said last night, born of the womb of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He he uses this intimate term, brethren, to describe every born-again follower of Jesus. Because we heard last night, only a born-again believer can worship God. Spiritually and sincerely. Josh has been studying Mark chapter 8 today. And Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, for because he who saves his life shall lose it. In other words, he who keeps his life to live for himself will lose his soul. But he who loses his life for my sake and the Gospels, his soul will be saved. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, when Jesus spoke those words, he was not speaking at a deeper life conference calling carnal Christians to uh, live a more spiritual life. He was preaching the gospel. He was preaching the cost of conversion. And he was saying that true conversion is a radical exchange. And it involves this sinner committing what they know of themselves to what they have come to know of Jesus so that they give their heart, their mind, their soul, their life. They give their obedience to the Gospel terms. This is far more than a man, woman, teenager, or a young person giving a mental assent to a couple of minimized propositions concerning Jesus and then parroting a prayer which contains those watered down propositions. This is far more than that. It's far more than a physical act of getting up out of a seat and walking to an altar or to a preacher. You know what that is? Exercise. That's what that is. It's far more than raising a hand when some preacher asks you to raise a hand. You know what happens when I raise my hand? I realize I didn't put on enough deodorant tonight. That is not conversion. None of that is conversion. Conversion is when a person comes to Jesus Christ on His terms. I think I spoke about this for a moment on John 15, but I remind you uh, for a moment that when you see the word believe as it's connected with getting conversion, being converted, it doesn't just mean believe in some facts about Jesus. The Greek phrase pastuinize means to believe in two Jesus. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes into Jesus shall not perish but have everlasting life. Those who have believed into Jesus are not condemned. Those who have not believed into Jesus are condemned already. Those who have not believed into Him will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on them. Jailer man, you must believe into to the Lord Jesus Christ, or you will not be saved. Now there's a vast difference in believing some information about Jesus as it's contrasted to believing into Jesus. And I remind you of Noah. The wrath of God was coming. Was it enough for Noah and his family to? believe that the ark could save them? Was that enough? Was it enough for Noah and his family to give a mental assent to a few propositions concerning the fact that the ark could save them? Was that enough? Would it have been enough for Noah and his family to raise a hand if some preacher said, do you believe the ark can save you? Would that be enough? Would it have been enough for Noah and his family to walk up to the ark during I have decided to follow Jesus? Would that have been enough? No. No, they had to get into the ark. They had to enter into the ark. And only, here's my point, only those who have believed into the Lord Jesus Christ in authentic conversion possess the ability to present themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ in authentic worship. I'm thinking about Second Corinthians 8 describing the sacrifice of these Macedonian believers who were living in abject poverty and being persecuted, and yet they sacrificed to give to the saints at Jerusalem who were also in poverty and were being persecuted. And 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 2 says, How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Here they are, very poor, being persecuted themselves, but even the very poor who are born again are called to involve themselves in the New Testament consecration sacrifice of worship. And they manifested this sacrifice of worship of the Lord by giving sacrificially out of their poverty to meet the needs of other born-again believers who were suffering persecution and poverty in Jerusalem. Now the question that comes to my mind is, why would they give away what they desperately need? Why would they do that? Why would they give in such sacrifice and liberally and joyfully? Well, the answer is found in the text. In verse 5, they first gave themselves to the Lord. Then to us, by the will of God. Amen? There's a crochet on the left side of my desk in my office. It's about that long. And on that crochet says, Yo soy el Alpha y Omega, el principio y el fin. Yo soy el primero y el último. And that is Revelation where Jesus says, I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That text right there. And on the bottom of it, it says Elaine. Now, Elaine was a lady in her 80s in communist Cuba who was uh, living on the retirement of the equivalent of nine U.S. dollars per month. Her little church in Baracoa had 70 people trying to meet in a house. And so they were trying to hopefully, hopefully they could build a concrete building so they could get out of that house and fit into this concrete building that was going to cost $7,000. But the average income at that time in Cuba was only the equivalent of $10 U.S. per month for a working man or woman. So there's no way they're going to raise this money, but they're trying to raise a little bit at a time. And since Elaine only lives on $9 a month and rat food rat, from the communist government but she could crochet so she said here's what I'm going to do I'm going to crochet that Bible verse and she's going to have to go to Santiago de Cuba 81 miles away on a bus trip I calculated it it's 81 miles away but I'm going to tell you why I calculated it in a moment she had to get a cataract surgery on Monday but she was going to go to Fourth Baptist Santiago de Cuba on Sunday morning to worship and she said I'll bring that crochet. Maybe one of the brothers or sisters at the church will buy it from me and I can give it to the building program. She's never met me. I've never met her in my life. Here I am from Mobile, Alabama. I'm about to teach a church planners conference all week but on Sunday morning I'm preaching at Fourth Baptist Santiago de Cuba. There's four or five hundred people in the crowd. And before I began preaching, I stood up and sang, Yo soy el alfa y omega, el principio y el, fin. Yo soy el primero y el último. I've never met this lady. I'm singing her crochet. She said, that guy will give. And so she came up to me afterwards, spread that thing out, and I thought, remembered what I had sang, and I knew God's up to something here. And I asked the pastors and the leaders there from the convention, then I said to Miss Elaine, I said, Miss Elaine, I'm gonna, I'm leaving, going back home after this conference, but I'm coming back in a few months. And I'm bringing the seven thousand dollars for that building. She was giving out of her poverty, and God did exceedingly and abundantly above all she could have asked or thought. Amen. She was worshiping, and look what God did. And by the way, I didn't ask anybody for the $7,000 except God. Because if God's initiating something, He'll provide for it. Amen? Paul says, listen, I beseech you who are born again. He's giving us an exhortation, but it is baptized with an urgent I am exhorting you, I am pleading with you from all of the authority of my position as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ to consecrate your lives unconditionally to the Lord in the sacrifice of worship. I'm exhorting you. I'm pleading with you. To yield your life to the Lord. This is the only reasonable and rational response in light of what Jesus has done. This is the only logical and loving response. And certainly, we we don't want to treat the Lord in a manner that is less than reasonable and rational Paul is exhorting us to give the full consecration of our lives, our bodies, our beings to Him. Here I was for 29 years on the slave market of sin. But one night in New Orleans, Louisiana, Jesus came to the slave block. In the early morning hours, Diane and the kids long in bed through a tape delay TV preacher preaching the gospel. God called me out of death and into life. Out of bondage and into liberty. He called me with a holy calling, not according to my works but according to His own purpose and grace which was given to me in Christ Jesus before time began. And if you're born again, you've been called with a holy calling. You don't belong to yourself anymore. So, we must freely and gladly surrender our lives, yield our lives on this New Testament consecration altar of worship. This should be our passion and our priority. I say it again the key in walking in victory is not that you need to get more from God, it is that you need to give all of yourself yield yourself unconditionally to Him. Amen. Most popular female Christian author of the last century. Her name is Elizabeth Elliot. She's written 25 books. The two most famous, were called through gates of splendor and in the shadow of the Almighty. And it chronicled the story of her husband, Jim, and those four other men who were speared to death by the Alka Indians, that savage, murderous tribe before they could even proclaim the gospel to them. And yet Elizabeth, and her little blonde haired daughter and Rachel Saint re-entered that tribe that slaughtered her husband and in Rachel's case, slaughtered her brother to begin to translate the Gospel of Mark into their language. Nine years it took. Five decades the 50th anniversary of their martyrdom. You know what? I was invited, this old drummer was invited to go and preach a couple of miles from where they were martyred from the gospel. And one of the church planters in the audience was a 68-year-old church planter, but he was also the 18-year-old soldier that identified the four bodies that they could find. And here I was teaching these church planters, just a couple of miles from where they were martyred. This had been planned for a year previous. When I came home to Mobile, guess who happened to be speaking at a ladies' conference in Mobile? Elizabeth Elliot. Somehow she got wind that I uh, just came from there. And uh, she got a lady to call our house and the lady said, Elizabeth Elliott wants to go out to eat with y'all tonight. Can you do it? (laughs) You think that was an accident? In two evenings, we had the joy to speak and fellowship with her and listen to the amazing accounts of what God did. I want to quote her first husbands, this powerful quote that is so pertinent to what we're thinking about. He said this, he is no fool to give what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Paul says, listen, since God delivered up his son to you, for you, you Deliver up your life. You present your life to him. This is the call to worship. But let's go to the second truth. We'll only have time to complete this one. You'll have to come back. Stay tuned tomorrow night. So, Secondly, the catalyst for worship. Why do you use the word catalyst? Just because it's a C word? No, because catalyst is a substance through which a chemical reaction is caused. Now, what is the spiritual catalyst that should cause us to respond in this logical presentation of our lives as a living, holy, acceptable sacrifice. Well, the catalyst is right there. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, here it is, by the mercies of God. And when Paul talks about the mercies of God, he's speaking about all the previous 11 chapters that he's been teaching. He says, I've been expounding to you all of the tremendous truths of what God has given you and continues to give you, and now I'm connecting all of these undeserved mercies with what you are called to give to God. In response of a heart, gratitude for the multitude of his mercies. You know what Paul is saying? If the gospel has been the power of God unto your salvation, then respond by presenting the totality of your life as a living, holy, acceptable sacrifice. If you've been justified by grace alone through saving penitent faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, these truths should propel you to live a life of sacrificial worship. If you've been reconciled to God, if you've been given the gift of propitiation, uh, those mercies should energize you and inspire you to consecrate your life to the Lord in the New Testament sacrifice of worship. If you've been baptized into union with His death, buried with Him in baptism into death, and raised to walk in newness of life, if you've been transferred out of the kingdom of sin and death and into the kingdom of grace and righteousness, then these marvelous mercies should propel you to worship with the consecration of your life. If there is therefore now no condemnation for you, then you must respond with a decisive dedication of your life in the sacrifice of worship. I remind you of Romans 9. Listen to what God says. I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. God is the Father of all mercies. He is infinitely wealthy in mercy toward his born-again people. He's not stingy in mercy. He is plenteous in Mercy. Amen? It's of the Lord's mercies that we have not been consumed in His just hostility and His holy animosity, but instead God is delighted to demonstrate His mercy to those who deserved His justice. You couldn't have earned mercy. That'd be a contradiction in terms. To say that a person can earn mercy, the only thing I could earn was wrath, the lake of fire. So, if you're born again, if you're an object of the marvelous mercies of God, it's not because of anything good in you. It's not because of anything good you could be or do. Amen? Oh, I love Ephesians 2. Verses 1 through 4, notice our condition, we were dead in trespasses and sins, separated from God, alienated from the life of God before the uh, new birth. Notice our course. Good outline if you're a preacher. Not only our condition, but our course. We were walking according to the course of this world, living our lives according to the standards and the values of the world. Doesn't matter if you grew up on a church pew or a bar stool. Before the new birth, you were dead, walking according to the course of this world. And your commander, it was the prince of the power of the air. I was living in a natural blindness, but my natural blindness was being compounded by the prince of darkness who was using the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And I thought I was the boss. I thought I was running the show. And I didn't know that I was a subject to Satan to do his will. And my conduct? Oh, we conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. I was living according to the corrupt inclinations of my hopelessly wicked heart. And our condemnation we were by nature by nature children of wrath deserving nothing but the second death in the lake of fire. Don't you love verse 4? But God, who was rich in mercy, he didn't reward me according to my iniquities. He did not deal with me according to my sins. He chose to have Mercy, Not by works of righteousness which you have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Did you hear Ephesians 2? It's through the mercy of God that a dead man is made alive. It is through the mercies of God that a worldly woman is made a citizen of heaven. It is through the mercies of God that a child of the devil becomes a child of God. It is through the mercies of God that a person who was enslaved to their own wicked flesh is given a new disposition, new desires, new direction in life. It's through the mercies of God that one who is by nature a child of wrath given a new nature and becomes a child of God but how can God have mercy on us and still preserve his justice and his holiness well the gospel writer Luke tells us speaking of the Lord Jesus to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of sins, watch us now, through the tender mercy of our God with which the dayspring on high has visited us. The very visitation of God the Son on this earth was a mission of mercy. God poured out his unmitigated wrath on his sinless son so that God can pour out his mercy on a sinner like me. Thus, we should say with the psalmist, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to Me, when you consider the marvelous mercies of God, your only logical response is the New Testament consecration sacrifice of worship. Amen? It's the only thing appropriate. It's the only acceptable response. It's the only spiritual response. So the issue tonight is have you given the Lord this only appropriate and acceptable response? It would be an awful thing to stand before the Lord and personally discover that your response was less than appropriate and acceptable What a tragic thing it would be to realize that you have not responded to God by entering into the same realm of His supernatural, sacrificial servant love that He poured out on you. He delivered up His Son for you. It pleased Jehovah God the Father to crush Jehovah God the Son. Listen, God not only loved us in words, He loved us in supreme sacrifice. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Consequently, if the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart, we should respond by displaying our adoration to Him, our allegiance to Him, through this New Testament consecration sacrifice of worship, surely, if we make an honest evaluation of the issue, we'd have to admit that a high percentage of people who call themselves followers of Jesus have never made this appropriate response. Now, they've made some type of response. They've made some shallow and superficial response, but it's a tremendous difference between a superficial response and the one and only appropriate response. God's given us a call to worship. We have seen tonight the catalyst for worship. The mercies of God. Is it you, Rob, reading slave right now? Ten million slaves in the Roman Empire. There were ten million. From all manner of races and languages, and uh, here were these millions of slaves. And by the way, there was no social justice for these slaves in the Roman Empire. And Paul was not marching around with the slaves protesting the Roman Empire. He was not satanically distracted from the Gospel by protesting with sinners, other sinners, sinning. There were multitudes of slaves. Now imagine though a particular master comes to the slave block in Rome Just thousands of slaves, but this master's coming to one particular slave at this particular time. And he selects that slave for himself. He pays the appropriate price for the purchase of that slave. But this master selects that slave with astounding love, amazing grace. And marvelous mercies in mine. And so that slave, out of adoration and allegiance to his master, he would go out into his master's fields and work all day. Then he'd come in in the evening and prepare a meal for his master. And then he would wait on his master's table before having anything for himself. And he did it all without debate, without complaint, without murmuring, because this was not a begrudging duty for this slave. This was his blessed delight. You know, everybody in America is a slave. You want to talk about social justice? Everybody in America is a slave, without exception. They're either a slave of sin, or they've been born again to become a slave of Jesus. There's only two kingdoms in this world. The kingdom of sin and the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's only two masters in the world. The master known as sin, the master known as the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone is a slave of one of those kingdoms. Oh, but if you've been redeemed, you've been rescued from slavery to sin to become a loving, willing, joyful slave. Of the one who did not ignore your sin. Who did not overlook your sin. But he paid the price. For the guilty one. Amen. God never shows mercy without punishing and judging sin. Never. But he can show mercy to us because he judged and punished our sin in his time. Thus, the only logical and loving response is to place the totality of our life at His disposal. Amen? There's something God wants from you. It's you. He wants you. He wants your substance. He wants your service. God is commanding us to write our names at the bottom of a blank contract and then say Jesus you fill it in. And I'll tell you what you write your name down at the bottom of that contract and you know what's going to happen the will of God will find you. Let's pray together. Oh God don't let this Message from your truth go in one ear and out the other. Help those of us who have been born again to present ourselves to you, to yield ourselves unconditionally to you, to sign our life over to you totally. Lord, challenge us on this issue of New Testament worship and that this might be an army of people right here at Joppa Baptist Church who consecrate their lives to you so that the will of God will find us and we'll walk in that will for your glory. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.